Good morning. Good to see everybody here for worship. I want to tag on what Taylor mentioned about baptism. Baptism is um, it's a symbol of a decision that a person has already made um, to respond to relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so just like my wedding ring, it's a symbol of a commitment that I've made. Baptism is a symbol of an inward commitment that has already been made. So if you've already come to the point where you've decided you want to follow Christ, you've made Him um, Lord of your life, then if you've never been baptized, we really encourage you to do that. And it gives people an opportunity to celebrate that decision you've made. Uh, maybe you've never come to the point where you've actually decided to commit your life to Christ as boss, as Lord. And so uh, maybe for you, it's just clarifying in this next few weeks what that's all about. Maybe you've been wrestling with that decision. And so I'd encourage you to, um, as Taylor said, check that so we can give you some more information about what baptism is all about. And so we'd love to share more with you. If you have specific questions you wanted to ask, you can ask myself, Cody, Taylor. Um, they'd be happy to just kind of you know, talk with you, have a conversation about baptism itself. So let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this group. Thank you for your church, Lord, how you've drawn us to yourself. God, we would, without you, Lord, we wouldn't um, have much direction in life. Lord, we'd be without hope. So we, we thank you, Lord, that you have extended your, your love to us, Lord. You've offered a, a way for us to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. As you became a man, you took on flesh, you served, you gave up your life for us, Lord, so that we could find forgiveness and enter into a relationship with you, God. I pray that those here that have not yet decided to make you boss, Lord, I pray that you'd continue to, to uh, draw them to yourself and that they would at some point soon, God, come to a point where they cross that line of faith and decide to follow you. Lord, thank you for the promises you offer to us. Um, in your word. And Lord, as we look at the area of finances deeper, Lord, I pray that you'd give us wisdom, insight, Lord, that you'd speak to us, God, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in a message series called Enough, and we've been looking at stewardship, finances, and if you're like me, when you start looking at this area, um, you can start getting really excited about progress, or I've got a plan, or rearranging your priorities, but then the reality of your situation kind of sinks back in and then you feel discouraged and so if if you're at a point no matter where you're at we all have to use money we all handle money we all receive money for the jobs we do we all um, you know have to pay money for food so we're always handling money we can never run away from this this stuff Um, but if you're like me and you get discouraged when you look at your situation at times um, I want. I, I hope that as we look at these things, that you'd be again taking notes, just kind of jotting down. Here's some practical steps I can take. You may not be able to tackle everything at once, but maybe there's some things each week that God can help you with in your specific situation. Whether you're a college student and you're um, trying to make the most of however much you've got, um, maybe you're a college student and you're already deep in debt. And so this is very, very relevant to where you're at. Maybe you're married, two in, or you know, double income, no kids. Maybe you have a surplus and you're just trying to figure out, how do I steward all this? Or maybe you have one income or what feels like three quarters of one income, five kids, and you're just trying to scrape it. You know? and so what I hope is that, again, you'll walk away with some practical things today. Debt is what we're looking at this morning. And for the majority of Americans, debt causes tremendous amount of discouragement 
in our lives. It feels like when you're in debt, it feels like you've got weights around your ankles and you're trying to run. You're trying to run laps with these heavy, heavy ankle weights. And you just feel like, I'm not making any progress. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere in life. And so you might be experiencing that at this point. Um, when I was first married, made a lot of careless choices financially and just didn't think a whole lot about what we were spending, and I should say what we were swiping. And before long, within about 18 months of being married, I took an account of where we were and just added up all that we owed. I added up student loans, two car loans that we were paying on, um, medical bills, timeshares, long story, another time, credit cards, I added all up $80,000 within 18 months. We weren't making that much money at the time, and it was scary. I, I thought in my head, I knew we were kind of in deep. I didn't know quite how deep we were in. And unless we shifted some things in our attitude, then we, we were going to be in real world hurt. And so we had to decide, are we going to tack more on and just ignore the current situation, continue to pile on more debt, or are we going to do something about this? Are we going to shift our attitude? Are we going to deal with the way we handle finances differently. The truth is our attitude towards debt is key. We, we decided to shift our attitude and focus on some things, rearrange priorities, remove some things, and started making progress to, to get out of that completely. But we've been looking as a church at what God has to say about money. And as we've looked at God's ideas about money, it's tough because we didn't get to vote on these ideas. He didn't ask us to offer our opinion on his ideas. He just has presented them to us. There's three things you can do with your money, and we've looked at this. You can give it, you can save it, or you can spend it. And we've looked at that, those three things from Scripture. You can give it, save it, or spend it. And God has an order of priority that he lays out in the Bible. Just really quickly, he says the first thing is you give, the second thing is you save some portion, and then out of what's left over, everything ought to equal 100%. Out of everything left over... You, you spend, you live, you have your lifestyle. The problem is, in America, we've reversed the order of priority. Spending has become the first thing we do. And then we, if there's anything left over, and sometimes we even go beyond through borrowing. We go beyond what we really have. We borrow from our future. But we've reversed the order of priority. And on the other side of the ledger, as far as how you can get money, you know, this is how you can use money, Give it, save it, spend it. Over on the side of how you can get money, there's three ways you can do that too. You can either earn it, you can be given it, like through an inheritance or maybe a gift, or you can borrow it. There's this third option for us. Borrowing the money that you hope to earn in the future or you hope to be receiving or given in the future. We have that as an option. And God has a priority for these three. His order of priority is we earn our money. Secondly, we receive it. Third, we borrow it. Today I want to talk about the number three on the list, which is borrowing, which is debt. Borrowing is not crossed off of God's list. He doesn't say this is prohibited completely. But when you borrow, Scripture implies you need to be very, very careful. He communicates huge warnings about this area of, of borrowing, of debt. He says be very careful. There are these warning signs that our culture and our country have pretty much ignored. We pretty much just flat out think, this doesn't apply to me, or I'll go around it. And debt has been a part of our civilization for all of recorded history. This has always been a part of, borrowing has always been a part of the way people 
get money, borrow. This is one option. But in the last 100 years, our world has formed a partnership between borrowing this last priority and spending. The two bottom priorities of how we use money, how we get money, have formed a partnership that have connected, that have gotten our country and us individually as people into extreme trouble. Borrowing, when it's carefully done, can be used and has always been used to do certain things. People borrow money to launch businesses. People borrow money to purchase investments, wise investments. But now borrowing has formed this direct partnership with spending, and it's we know this as consumer debt, right? We know this as, call it consumer debt. Rather than living content within the boundaries of income that God has provided, we borrow money simply to increase our lifestyle, to increase our ability to spend more far beyond the boundaries of what we actually have. So we tap into this. I read about this, this uh, pharmacist who had like 500 credit cards and he had like $10 million of borrowing credit and he had an income of like $45,000. But he could borrow you know, just way, way far beyond what he had. He had good credit scores apparently because he kept getting the, the offers presented to him. People are always willing to lend us money, aren't they? I actually found out this week that my son can have a credit card. I got an offer for my seven-year-old son, Gabriel. And I thought, oh, you know, this is a new card. Oh, it's not to me. It's to Gabriel. What? He's seven. You know, they're looking for us. They, they've got you in mind. They have our children in mind, for those of you who are, you know, who have kids. It, but this morning, what I want to do is, is kind of dust off God's warning signs. We're going to look at two warnings and three areas of action what we can do differently in this area. The first two warnings you find are tied to extreme caution. There's some cautions given to us. The first thing is the real cost of borrowing is our freedom. That's the first thing. This is what's really at stake is our freedom. We usually only look at the interest rate. It's 5.9, it's 8.9, it's 0%. And then we look at the monthly payments, the minimum monthly payments or just the monthly payments. We're usually concerned with those two things, interest rate, monthly payments. But... What we find out in Scripture is there's so much more to be concerned with. There's more to it than just those two factors. There's our freedom at stake. Look at Proverbs 22.7. It says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower, the one who borrows. Anytime we borrow, we're servant to the lender. That word servant, it's a Hebrew word that can be translated servant or slave. And it basically means that I am owned by someone until I work my way off until I work my debt off. I'm a servant. I'm a slave to someone until I work off this debt. That's how we find ourselves when we're, when we're in debt. We're borrowing. We're a slave to the lender. These are not rules, but these are kind of explanations of things. So, you know, borrowing money from Citibank, you know, doesn't mean that they can just call you up on the phone and, and tell you what to do, but it does mean that you have given up some of your freedom to Citibank or to Chase or to whoever we give up freedom to these, to these people who lend. We exchange money for freedom. Each month, we now have less freedom than we've had before. And if we don't pay on time, the freedom that we do have shrinks even more, doesn't it? This whole area of freedom is what's really at stake. And does this mean that you should never borrow? Should we just never borrow? Is it, does God prohibit this area? I, I think most people who look at the Scripture says He doesn't prohibit it, but He says, be very, very careful. Be very, tread lightly in this area. Think 
ask a lot of questions before you actually take on debt. Because sometimes what you get is a good trade in, you know, for the reduction of your freedom. But if you borrow to increase your lifestyle, the cost of your, fu- of your future freedom is never worth that trade. It's never worth it. The ability to borrow to increase for our lifestyle actually is something new. It didn't really exist until the 1920s. This ability to borrow to increase my ability to spend more. That was not an option before, for us in America before the 1920s. We actually have GM to thank for that. Ford, the motor company, was dominating the car market with the Model T. They had the Model T, same car in one color. You know what color it was? You probably, yeah, you've seen pictures of the Model T. It's black. Well, then GM came up with the idea of changing the look of the car each year to convince people to buy cars for looks and not for needs. So then, to help people pay for those cars, they, they created or formed the General Motors Acceptance Corporation. stands for GMAC. You ever heard of that? Anybody ever owe to GMAC? I have. Chevy, GMAC. There's, I'm the only person. Come on. I know I'm not the only one. Okay. Two of us. Two of us honest people. No, I'm just kidding. But they formed this partnership or corporation in order to help people finance cars based on looks rather than for needs. And it wasn't long before the department stores followed the direction of the cars. J.C. Penney and Sears, they were the catalog people. They resisted the trend that the car companies were doing. They resisted. And so Sears actually used in its catalog um, sections of the catalog to warn about this whole area of consumer credit. But eventually, and J.C. Penney, J.C. Penney, the C in J.C. stands for cash, James Cash Penney. And eventually, these companies kind of relinquished their their plan, now both Sears and JCPenney make more money on profit on credit interest than they do on the merchandise they're actually selling. They're making more money on, on the credit themselves or itself. The average American always has a car payment. Average American always has a car payment. And the average payment in America is $464 per month. $464 a month. If we saved, here's a little thing I, I looked up. If we saved... First, if we saved ahead of time and paid cash from savings for that amount of money, the $464 a month, and saved from the age 25 to age 65, that amount total would be $5.4 million over the course of those 40 years, saving $464 a month in some sort of an investment, an average investment account. Or you can spend every five years, you can buy a brand new car for, let's say, $25,000, And over the 40 years, you would have spent $200,000 from those $464 payments, and you'd have eight cars. So it's eight cars and a bill or $5.4 million to draw from to purchase whatever car you want. But I'm not trying to get you to go and become millionaires here or anything. But when we do the math, it just doesn't add up. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I've purchased two cars, and... Usually I realize, wow, I'm kind of stuck. I'm restricted here. My freedom has been limited. I, I need to get out. And so we ramp up the payment plan. We start figuring out how do we get out of this soon because I don't want to be in this bondage any longer than I need to. We, I had to get serious about dealing with those debts when we first got married. Like I said, it's, this whole area is, is, a, is a freedom issue. 
it's not just about our money alone and the rates and how smart we can be. It's about our freedom and our ability to do things freely, to make decisions freely, to not be tied. The average family is carrying $9,000 in credit card debt. And if they were to cut up the cars and start paying them, monthly monthly minimum payments, it would take 47 years to pay off. And people are now paying this month for meals that they ate on credit cards four years ago. Eat a Burger King, upgrade it, swipe the card. Four years later, we're paying for that food. And because we're constantly paying for the decisions we made, we're borrowing on our future. That's the real cost. It's our freedom. Here's another warning that comes from Scripture. The real risk is this. We might be mocking God in the way that we're handling our resources. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Meaning, we can't pull one on God. We can't sneak around Him. He can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This is a law. It describes the basic design that God has built into all of reality. We reap what we've sown. We sow something. If we want something, then we need to plant seeds of what we want over here. Life is like farming, we find out. We get what we've planted. Life is like farming, not fast food. And this whole law that we see, you know, what we get follows the planting of of what we've, you know, the planting and then the tending. We, We get out of the reward, out of the planting, out of the tending. This applies throughout life. First you do the work, then you get the results. But we mock God by not, not just by looking up and pointing our finger at Him, but by scorning laws like that. We scorn this law. Borrowing for our lifestyle, what it does is it reverses the order of harvest. Look at what he says. This is how God works. You reap what you sow. And when we borrow for our lifestyle and see no problem with it and just continue to attack it on, it reverses the order of harvest. See, God designed... Whoa, We end up getting what we want right now, and then we spend the next five years paying for it. And it runs counter to the basic way that God designed reality of sowing and reaping. It reverses that order. The world that God has designed operates with delayed gratification. You know, I do the work, and then I get the reward. Consumer credit, it provides instant or immediate gratification. But the problem is it fails to deliver real gratification because we can't mock God. What he's saying is, it doesn't really satisfy. We get what we want, but we're not really satisfied with it. We get it ahead of time, we're not really satisfied. God cannot be mocked. We think the risk of debt is financial, but the real risk of debt is developing a flawed approach to life. We begin to think, I can just have what I want right now. I want what I want when I want it, and so I can have it. And it it translates into problems that not only that we reap for years, but our children reap. Our children learn a flawed, potentially a flawed approach to life when we don't set this straight for them and we don't help them. As they see us wrestling and struggling with doing this right, they'll end up, if, we don't, if they don't see that struggle, if we're not talking to them about that struggle, they're going to end up in a world that's going to be even more easy to get themselves into deeper and deeper messes. We went to um, John's Incredible Pizza recently and well, actually, not recently. This is about a year and a half ago. But we go there frequently. We do go there recently, but this time I was thinking of was a year and a half ago. I walked in, and I'm like, I, I don't really enjoy the, you know, cost of those machines. And and then, you know, you play for a while, and then you cash in your rewards for these little things that break, like the first time they play with it. 
And you're like, that was a big waste of my money. And so we go in there, and I took Gabriel and Gavin, my two boys, to the reward counter, and I said, all right, I want you to look at all these rewards, and I want you to figure out, I want you to figure out what, what you really want. Thankfully, they didn't pick the top items that would take me like 10 years to, to get, but they picked some of these Ninja Turtles. They said, wow, ooh, that would be good, these Ninja Turtle figurines. And I was like, ooh, that's, that's a good, and it, you know, it was a substantial amount of tickets. And I pretty much knew there's no way we're going to be able to do this on the $20 that I brought to be able to play these games. And so we're playing, we're having a good time, and Gabriel's realizing that Daddy can get a lot more tickets than he can. So he's like, come on, Dad, keep going, keep going, keep going. You know, and I'm doing all I can, and we're working hard, and Gavin and Gabe, we're playing, and we're, you know, we take all the tickets to the machine. Sure enough, we're like not even a third of the way to this these Ninja Turtles. Now my options are, well, we'll just do another 20, and we'll, you know, th- two more 20s, and simple math tells us we're going to be there. But just had to say, well, let's, we're going to have to save it. Might take us a few more trips to John's, but we'll save it, we'll save up, we're going to come back and get these things. And they wanted, you know, they're looking out these little 5 and 10 and 25, you know, they can get a handful of these little things that are junk, or they can wait. And so we just waited, come back a few months later, do this again, still not there. By the third time, we had enough to get the Ninja Turtles, which they would, it, was, it took a little while, so they didn't have Ninja Turtles anymore. So, you know, so much for the lesson, but um, <laughs> it's about hundreds of trinkets. No, we, I still said, okay, so look at all that we've got. And so what do, you, what do you want now? And they have a lot more to work with at that point. And so together they decided, let's get this blue lava lamp. I'm like, all right, they want the 70s lava lamp in their bedroom. They can do that. So they get this blue lava lamp. It's in, our bedroom, or it's in their bedroom. And it's, it's a great reminder for us just the way that this works, you know. I, I got to work, and I get the reward later. This is something that we need to, to remind ourselves of, God's law here of sowing, and then we reap. Because credit just, it, it dangles something very different than the way God has designed reality. Here's three actions. If you found yourself into trouble with that, here's three things from the Old Testament book of Proverbs that can help us get out. It starts with this. It says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you've struck hands and pledged for another, the idea here is that you're committed to paying someone, either for someone else's purchase or for your own. It's really kind of a co-signing idea, but the idea of borrowing or purchasing something on credit really does apply to this passage. If you've been trapped by what you've said and snared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. See, the idea here is you're no longer, you've given up some freedom. He can squeeze you. You're in his hands now. The idea here is you want to get out. So what do you do? First thing is change what you can. This is the first idea he says in verse 3. Change what you can. The verse says go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. Usually when people get into trouble in debt, their first two instincts only make things worse. The first thing is we try to cover up the fact that we're in trouble. Rather than bearing, you know, humbling ourselves, we couldn't bear the humility of humbling ourselves, so we hide it from others. We hide it from others. We might even hide it from those closest to us. Second thing is we wrap our arms around something or some part of our lifestyle that we just would refuse to consider letting go of. Like, I could never let this go. I could never take this. I could never get rid of this. I could never sell this. I could never change this. 
So we do these two things that makes matters worse. These verses actually say do the opposite. When you're caught, it says do the opposite. He says humble yourself. Don't try and pretend that all is well when it's not. He's saying don't, don't compete with other people's lifestyles. Just humble yourself. Don't try to pretend. Then press your plea, he says. Try to change the terms. That's the idea. Press your plea. Like go back and say, hey, what can we do here? Try to change the terms. If you can't change the terms, then look over every area of your lifestyle and figure out what do I need to change to get my lifestyle back in line with where I really am or what I can really afford to do. So here's some questions to ask. Do I need to go from homeowning to renting? If so, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Second thing, maybe another question, do I need to sell my nice car and drive a beater? Again, it might be God saying, you know what, humble yourself, do that. Maybe that's what you need to do right now. Do I need to take my kids out of all these activities that I've got them in? They really want to do them and they're, they're expensive. And I've got to pay all these things. I mean, again, humble yourself, do it. Do I need to cancel the cable TV or get rid of that tremendous, tremendously fast or hyper-speed data plan that I've got? I mean, I don't know what it is, but do I need to tell my friends, no, I can't go out to lunch with them today and just say, I can't afford it. Again, the question is, he says, humble yourself, press your plea. Things are desperate when you're in debt. Things are desperate. So it's not a time for arrogance. It's a time for reality. I was, this, this year was a year of um, dental work. So we went to the dentist and found out everybody needed work done, except for my baby girl, Grace, thankfully. But everybody but her. And it's just a costly year. And it was, it was one of those years where I wish I would have paid through savings. Instead, I chose to, to swipe it. So now I'm paying that stuff back aggressively and used savings to do that, to pay back. But once you make the choice to swipe, again, we're presuming some things about our future. We're presuming the money's going to be there. We're presuming the income and all this stuff is going to be there. But once you do it and you're past the period of changing your mind, you can't really change that decision. Now the freedom is limited. And in my dental visit, my doctor, it was only getting worse. So we had some work done, and then my dentist, who I really do trust, he's like a friend, a longtime friend of a really close friend. So I really trust this guy, and he said, you know, I'm looking on your x-rays, and you've got this sideways adult tooth up in your gums, snarled up in there. He didn't use the word snarled, but that's how I think of it. And he says, just up there. And it it needs to be, it needs to come down and push that baby tooth down. I saw a baby tooth. And uh, he says, never came down. Just, so it went sideways. And it's just hanging out up in there. And he just said, I want you to go see the orthodontist. And he gave me his, his friend, the orthodontist card. And he said, go see him, see what he thinks. He says, these two teeth are, he says, this, these teeth might do damage for you in the, in the future. So orthodontist does all these 3D x-rays. And he's like, you know, it's really serious. It's really serious. If you don't let me work on this, and expose that tooth and get you on braces and chain that tooth to all these other things. And I'm like imagining chains and trying to describe it to friends and they're laughing at my visual imagery. And I'm just like, I know. And he's like, well, if you don't do this work, it's very likely you're going to lose these front two teeth and maybe even a third. And I'm like, okay, that's lovely, you know. Just imagine that, you know. And, and, you know, it's $5,000 after insurance. This is what it's going to cost to get this procedure started. And you better do it right now because your teeth might fall out any day. 
And I'm like, you know, and you're feeling all this intensity of, I've got to do it right now. I might walk out of here and bite onto a corn dog and just pop them off. And you never know. What if I'm speaking up here and they fall out and I just... And so all these things are going through my head about what he said and also about all the chains and stuff. And I'm thinking about, how is that going to look? And, and I'm getting really concerned. And, he, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to have to go ahead and do this. Start talking to my wife about it. And then I realized, wait a second. You know what? I've had this tooth up here for a long time. I don't know where it is. <laughs> but I'm 34 years old. I've been this way all my life. What's another few months maybe even a year of savings, to save up more money, to, to sacrifice in other areas so that I can just pay for this thing. And I'm thinking, you know, the big thing that's holding me back is I don't want to humble myself before this guy. He's an orthodontist. I'm not. He's got all his resources. He's obviously very, very well off. And it's just, you know, he's talking about, this is going to really help with your appearance and your look and all this, not to mention your teeth being there for long term. And I'm, and, and I'm thinking, oh, and then I'm really conflicted. But then, the honest thing is, I just had to say, you know, I can't afford to do this right now. Much as I want to have teeth, I just can't afford to do this right now. And they try all sorts of things to, to incite you to, to make purchases. I got an offer yesterday. I don't know if this is, must be for this purpose. But it's like one of these, hey, before Christmas, if you'll pull the trigger and you get the procedure done, we'll give you $300 off the whole thing. You know, oh, I don't know if I can, again... You know, I bet if I just saved and limited and sold some things and had $5,000 and just carried it into the guy's office, here. And I say, you know what, I'm going to, I got cash. I'm, I'm guessing that $300 is probably the least that he would do. I'm guessing I could probably get a little bit more off of that because cash does speak, doesn't it? And so I, I think the, the, you know, the question of change what you can is just brings up pressure, please figure out what do I need to do? I'm not saying walk away from your commitments, but ask for new terms. Ask for a lower rate. Return what you can return if you can. If you really can't afford it, that's the question. If you really are in deep and you can't afford it, then humble yourself. Press your plea. There's no shame. Last week I shared I had to return a computer. There's no shame in that. It's a little bit embarrassing, but, you know, you do what you got to do. Here's the second action. When you're in trouble, change what you can. Secondly, you do what it takes. The verse continues, he says, this is more intense than you think. This is more of a priority than you think. Verse 4 says, allow no sleep to your eyes, he says. No slumber to your eyelids. Get, get this, he's saying, don't put this in a closet somewhere. This is a top priority. Allow no sleep. You can fall into debt, but you can't fall out of debt. It takes tremendous intensity of effort. If you're in debt and you're, you're struggling with this right now and you're feeling then don't go home and watch TV today. Because that's just going to, again, entice you for all these things you don't have. Don't go sleep tonight having done nothing to address the problem. Get into gear. That's what the Scripture is saying here. When we recognize things, it's like, okay, it's time to get into gear. We've got to focus here. Get a second job if you can. Whatever you need to do. The New Testament communicates the same idea. In Romans 13:8, Paul says to the church in Rome, he says, he says let no debt remain outstanding. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. He says the only thing we really should have long-term debt is is just the need to love one another all the time. That's something we need to be indebted, loving people. That's, that's our debt. But he says as far as our other debts, he says don't, don't just leave these things and let them pile on top of each other and just keep piling debt. 
to pile debt on top of debt is a violation of, of these principles. And debt that remains outstanding, what it does is it restricts our freedom to respond to God's act or to God's call to act. If God says, hey, I want you to go and do this right now. I want you to head overseas and do this. And you're deep in debt, then that is like a chain to this country. You're chained here for a season. You're not free to go. God provides an opportunity for you to give and someone's doing something and they come and want your support and you're chained down because of all these things. Again, the quicker we get free, the freer we are to really respond to what God provides, opportunities He provides. Do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Something extreme. You may need to think extreme, like in order to do what it takes. I don't know what that means for you. For us, it typically means we live with cash. We try to spend just cash. And there's seasons where we haven't done this, and sometimes I realize we need to get back to cash. <clears throat> but what we do is we take money and we put it in envelopes. So this is like Josh's allowance, the first half of the month. This is entertainment, the first half of the month. This is groceries, week two. And there's cash in there. Don't come and try to take my cash either. <laughs> I'm going to keep those close. Kids care. This is money for, you know, kids' things. Clothes, things like that that Erica might... You know, think they need to get. This is Erica's allowance, the first half. And with our allowances, we've just said, this is money that is no questions asked money. It's just she gets this, I get this, we spend it however we want. Our entertainment money, we work together, we think through how are we going to stretch that money, how are we going to use that money. But for us, when the envelope is done, my envelope is just about done. There's $10 left in this envelope. When it's done, it's like, if the option is not, well... Let's see, i got these cards to... Then the option is done, then it really, really helps us in this area of making progress. So do whatever it takes. This might sound too extreme, but there's other people that do more crazy things in order to make progress. You might consider selling a bunch of things to quickly pay off your debt. I heard from a guy today, he sold something big, and, and it's to go to this area of debt. And you know what? I, that's great. That's extreme, but it's, it's great. It's what you need to do. The last action we're, we're told to take is this. Run from new debt. This is the last thing from this passage. Run from it. Free yourself, verse 5, like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. A fowler is a bird hunter. Okay? He's saying, like a gazelle. He says, this is dangerous. Debt is dangerous. Treat it like a hunted animal. Run. When you see a gazelle, have you ever seen a gazelle? Here's a picture of it. Here's a picture of what a gazelle does when it's in danger. Does it go up and examine the hunter? Does it walk up and stick around to see if this time maybe the hunter's going to pounce on him or shoot him? No, it runs. It sees the hunter and it takes off. If you're in debt trouble, this is how we should respond to to the very side of a credit card. We don't examine the amazing terms that they're going to offer me this time. We really, we run as if our life depended on it. We cut up the cards even. That sounds extreme and drastic to cut up the cards, but... If you don't cut up the cards, then I want to show you an example of what could happen to you. Here's a quick video that just shows you what happens if you don't cut up the cards. You end up paying one thing off. You're on the run. You're paying one thing off. But you haven't cut up the cards and you don't realize you're about to be devoured by another because the opportunity to get yourself in the same hole is still there. 
Eliminate the trees. Eliminate the... <laughs> Cut the cards. I just saw that and I thought, i got to show that. That's an amazing video. But when we cut the cards, it indicates a permanent change in your view of debt. A permanent change. Because what it says is, no matter what happens, I have to pursue this opportunity or solve this challenge without debt. It's not an option. You can wander into debt one credit card at a time, but you cannot wander out. You have to run, the Scripture says. You have to put as much distance between yourself and any new debt as you can. And if you're... If you're you know, if you're looking for, if you're hoping that something else is going to magically change the situation, like a get-rich-quick scheme or some theory, instead of sacrifice, hard work, and just total focus, then probably you'll never become debt-free. This will be an area that will plague your life as long as you're around. But if you get gazelle-focused, if you focus intensely like this idea with God's help and with the right set of priorities, you can find freedom. Again, God's priorities, keep in mind God's priorities. He, he, he understands that we hit situations where we borrow or we, get, we make choices, but we still have to deal with the priorities He set out. He still says give first, save. Even if your savings is just a little bit in order to plan for a contingency, for an emergency, He says take care of these things first, and then out of what's left over, live, spend. If you ignore these priorities, then what God does is He'll frustrate our plans. He'll frustrate our plans. We just keep spinning our wheels, working a plan that's just not getting us anywhere. So the encouragement from Scripture is get after it. Get focused. Run in the right direction. Cut up things. Get extreme. Take out this connection card here. It's just a couple of next steps on the back. First, work the Proverbs 6 plan. Work the plan. Think about what does this mean? Change what I can. Do what it takes. Run from new debt. Just consider what that means for me. Maybe you've got a real problem with spending still. You, you know, you maybe need to talk to someone. But work the Proverbs 6 plan. Secondly, work through the family budgeting packet. These are on the back guest information table. We had them last week. They got taken really quickly. So there's more. Um, so feel free to pick one of those up. And then last thing, take action. Take action in some way. Use, you know, use cash. Sell something. Just think about what, what is it I need to do today? to kind of blow up this problem so that I can move in a new direction. To kind of, one author says, to stick a dynamite in this thing that needs to get flowing the right direction. Just extreme actions like sometimes get things moving in the right way. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as our ushers prepare. Father, we thank you so much for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you, despite our mistakes, despite the areas we've strayed, you're so gracious, so merciful to us, God. You provide strength, Lord, when we just yield our way to You, when we surrender our our ways and our choices to You, God. You give us tremendous strength and help when we need it, God. And, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't put this on the back shelf, but, Lord, that we would just keep this in the front of our mind. Lord, that we'd wrestle with this area of debt this week, that we think about what's my attitude towards it in general. Lord, if we're feeling the, the squeeze on our life right now, I pray that we would that we would allow that squeeze to really move us towards you and to your ways and your plans, God. Help us not to try to work this current situation with a flawed set of priorities and plans. Lord, we love you. We thank you for an opportunity to serve you. We thank you for an opportunity to give back to you, God. We 
pray that as we give, Lord, that it would be a true expression of our thankfulness, our gratitude for your faithfulness in our life, God. You are worthy of it all, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.